read a few of your lines. Well, it's Radiothon and we've finished it and thank you all to all of those people who have donated. But if you like the sound of today's book, I've got a spare copy and it can be picked up from 3CR here at 21 Smith Street and I think you'll get a big laugh about it. Um, I have RWR McDonald, or better known as Rob, debut writer Rob. Yes. And brave humorist. (laughs) Thank you, Jane. (laughs) Now, you might have heard the term Nancy boys. It's it's a very it's an old reference to effeminate men. Yeah. And Robert's given us two of the best, <laughs> Pike and Devon. They fit this category beautifully. Thank you. Yes, uh, with the the Nancys, um, which is the title of the book, and also the name of a secret amateur detective club um, with Pike and Devon and their. Pike's niece, who's 11. I wanted to, a little bit of a a play on uh, Nancy Boys and a a reclamation of that name. Um, I, as part of the book, I wanted to celebrate camp. I think camp is incredibly brave and I wanted to see heroes, you know, uh, with that bravery, but in a different setting. Well, you've made them pretty stereotypical, though—a hairdresser and a fashion designer. Have you got any flack for doing that? Uh, no, but that was a deliberate choice because I think you can go the other way, where you're trying to make things not. Uh, so, in the book, um, one of the characters says, "Clichés are clichés for a reason," and I wanted to celebrate that because there are so many amazing stylists and fashion designers who are so. Uh, flamboyantly camp and out there, and that's what I see as as uh, a sign of real bravery. They're being who they are in in just this most uh, beautiful way. Well, you have a, a Pike, uh, a quote from your character Pike. He says he has a contract with God. We gays have to leave the world more beautiful than when we found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with him on that. So, um, you know, they're very much Sydney gays, aren't they? They're, they're sort of celebrity yeah. people. And, uh, well, they've come. They've come to this small, tiny South Island community. Why have they come? So they have come. Uh, Tippy, who's uh, Pike's niece, uh, her mother... Pike's sister, Helen, is going away on a cruise for two weeks. So there come Pike's come to babysit, and at the last minute he's decided to bring his boyfriend of three months. Devin. And the most serious relationship ever. Yes, the longest, longest relationship he's had, um, to come and babysit Tippy. So Tippy's mum's on a cruise. Mm-hmm. Now, these two very, very gay guys who you know, are very flamboyant mm-hmm. – um, they they hope that um, Tippy's mum have a nice cruise, perhaps with a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you can't say that. No. You can't you can't actually say that to an eleven year old. Yes. So they they find another way. And this is where I'd like Rob uh, McDonald to read from his book, The Nancys. Okay. Do you think mum will find a husband? 
Shit, no, my uncle said. Sorry, honey. No, no. Devon looked at Uncle Pike. But we hope she finds something that'll make her happy. What makes you happy, Tippy? I sniffed. My mind went blank. It was impossible to think. Reading? Right, Devon said. So we hope your mum finds a good hard book to read on her holiday <laughs> that she really enjoys. And reads a lot of... And then at the end of the holiday... At the end of her holiday, she leaves the book behind. She needs a good read, my uncle said. Definitely, but we don't want her bringing that book home. Why not, I asked, pulling down my sleeve and dabbing my nose. Books on holidays can be very different when you're back home, Uncle Pike said. And most likely your mum won't like the book as much. Or the book might belong to someone else, like a library. And it just gets complicated. Your mum doesn't need complicated right now. I nodded. I hope she gets to read lots and lots of books. <laughs> mm, if you, you put sex in there for read, you'd have, you quite understand it. Look, it was just one of the laughs I had from this book. And, of course, it is a book, and it's Nancy Drew's book mm. that um, has Pike's name in it, and now it's got Tippy's name. you better just explain who this Nancy Drew is because, you know, I've heard her, but I've never read her. Yeah, so... Um uh, the other, I guess, the other play on the word with the Nancys was um, this fandom that both Tippy and her uncle share. So, what I liked about Nancy Drew is uh, the intergenerational aspect of her. Um, she's a character that's been around since 1930. So, in the book, um, a couple of the early versions are actually Uncle Pike's mum, who then Pike uh-huh. took up the the flag. Um, uh, Tippy's mum, not so much into it. But I wanted to have this bond between them that was inter- intergenerational, that tied into mysteries and this sort of mm. love of solving puzzles. And 1930s Nancy Drew is problematic in some, you know, the, in later versions they removed, you know, racism and, and there was quite, you know, still quite a bit of classism in there. But the, the, the part that I really loved was the independent sort of wildness of Nancy before she was more muted as the versions went on. She carried a gun. She carried a gun. She drove around. She drove a speedboat. She was, she was you know, uh, snooping in her father's case files, although he was very – there was no privacy laws back then, obviously, because he was giving her all the details about his clients. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> look, look um, sort of a sense of the embodiment of contradictory ideas to femininity. You know, mm. so she, she was all out there. Yeah. And, of course, this is what um, young Tippy really liked. Uh, you know, the, the uncle, uh, Pike and his boyfriend, Devon, are there and they're in this tiny little town in yeah. New Zealand. What are they going to do? And they decide, oh, Next door lived Melanie Brown with yeah. her grandparents, step-grandparents. Explain yeah. Melanie. So Melanie, um, uh, she, her, she's from a farm um, and she's been staying with her grandparents, uh, well, her grandfather and step-grandmother, um, so doing homeschool with them. Her father, her mother died actually two weeks before Tippy's dad. So you find mm. out that Tippy's dad's died earlier on. 
And so Melanie is mm, goth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's not she she's not too interested in what anyone else thinks. Um, she's you know trying to process in her own way. Um, but yes, uh, she's anti-fashion, shall we say? Yes. So <laughs> the uncle and, and Pike and Devon are bored. So what they decide to do is get her interested by giving her vodka and cigarettes, this is the 16-year-old next door, Melanie, to do what? Well, so to be fair, that was Melanie's price for their help. (laughs) Uh, She demanded vodka and cigarettes. Uh, So Melanie has entered into the local A&P show queen. The the beauty pageant, as she calls it, a meat market from the dark ages. Yes. So Melanie's got her own reasons for uh, wanting to kind of destroy within. Um, But Pike and Devon uh, see it as a... A challenge. Yeah, an absolute challenge, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, they're not just doing the the makeover. They're doing the whole lot. They're doing the deportment. They bring in the PR person to get her, you know, speech just on. But what they can't do is control what she actually (laughs) says. So, you know, that's fine. They think they're going to be busy doing this. But instead, in this tiny little town where the only traffic light is kind of like 10 kilometres out of town, Mm. which controls the single lane bridge, what's found, Rob McDonald? So a body is found in the early morning um, and it is headless. Yeah, now that sounds gruesome and it is Mm. gruesome, but I can't believe how much laughter I had. (laughs) It was terrible. Um, The body. Mm. Mm. Who was it? So the body turns out to be Tippy's teacher, Miss Everson. She doesn't really like. No. So I wanted to play with the the idea in cosy mysteries, so the whodunit mysteries, you know, usually the uh, murder victim is someone who either is despicable and no one likes or is, you know, very elderly. And I was wanting to sort of go, well, this is still a murder. This person still mattered. Mm. And sort of you know, make the reader. I guess you know we're we're responsible for you know we're we're going along on this journey, but it's still a murder. So I wanted to kind of draw out that, and by making it so gruesome, is like, no, you're not going to get off easy by just having someone fall off a cliff. We're gonna we're this is a murder. Yeah. Mm, it is a murder, and yeah. it's a very small community, so everybody yes. knows about her, and um, yeah. and they sort of know that she might have been bisexual, and she might have been having an affair with two of the local community. Maybe <laughs> double yeah. the reason, double the reason. Mm. Um, so the Nancys they get together. Uh, Devon doesn't really know much about Nancy Drew and the detective yeah. stories, but he really desire, likes to sort of make them uh, T-shirts, matching yeah. T-shirts. Yes, I think he's, he's interested in the team culture for sure. <laughs> uh, look, Tippy has her own mates. She, mm-hmm. um, she's she got Todd, but Todd disappears very early on. Mm, yes, so... 
which is unfortunate for Tippy, uh, and also with her mum being away on a cruise. So it's almost the first test for, for the Nancys, pre, pre-forming the Nancys. We should actually sort of mention here that the whole thing about uh, Tippy's dad, mm. now we, Tippy even isn't, she's missing her dad terribly and it's coming yeah. up for Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, every Christmas, what what is Tippy's dad given Tippy for Christmas? Yeah, so so Tippy's dad, um, when we open, uh, it's in December and he ha- he died nine months earlier. And so Christmas obviously been a trigger for everything as well. This is the first Christmas. Every Christmas, uh, Tippy's dad always gave her a little sellotape dispenser in the shape of a little plastic snail. Mm, yes. But all the photos of Tippy's dad have been removed also from the house by, by Tippy's mum, even from Facebook. And the reason for his death is only sort of really hinted at. Mm, yeah. Before that, he was getting some very bad press from the local paper. Yeah. And that reporter, Lorraine, oh, <laughs> her parents were not complimentary about her, were no, they? No, no, not at all. In fact, she was called the C-word. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. But uh, the uncle points suggested, well, maybe they should change that a little bit. Yes. So called her C. C-hag. That was much yeah. nicer. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that was, that nice was a lot And this, this, yeah. this reminded um, poor old Tippy of her mate, uh, Todd, yeah. who's in a coma in mm. hospital just as Tippy's dad was before he died. Because mm. Tippy used to, uh, Todd used to like to call everybody... Ass clowns. Ass clowns. <laughs> I thought that was just so good. <laughs> but you know what? We mm. really wonder whether Todd's accident was an accident. That's right, yes. Mm, there's mm. more to than this. Yeah. Ah, so we've got the detectives yeah. and... Um, because Pike knows everybody in town, yep. he gets to go into people's houses. Yes. And Devon is the first to comment <laughs> on the interiors. God, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, for Devon, it's quite a shock. It's um, uh, it's not in sort of interiors that he's used to, and um, particularly Pike's moved on from from some of those interiors as well. So uh, and Devon is a colour savant. So he you know, he finds colours can be quite either incredibly beautiful and pleasant or the opposite. Absolutely. And, uh, well, look, we, should, we started talking about Nancy Boys and we really should finish on an issue about homosexuality too because <laughs> one of the judges of the beauty pageants is a hornblower. Yeah. He's also a local boy yeah. with a past connected to Pike. Yes. They were an item together and then yeah. Pike just disappeared, absolutely yes. disappeared. And the boy, boy's friendship in the small community does bring around that moral question about mm. who has the right to out somebody if they're not there. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and I think their, I mean, their relationship is part of the basis for, for Pike then not having a sex, successful relationship, relationship since because there's just so much unresolved between the two of them. Well, and then um, Pike and Devon set up a dinner to get more inside information mm. with Barry the policeman. Yes. And what happens there? So Barry, he so they, they actually end up helping Barry come out. Um, so 
which is a nice way for, I guess, Pike, who never had that or didn't have that support or didn't know anyone gay. I mean, there was there was him and um, Mike Hornblower, but they were trying to figure it out. Yeah, know, themselves. Between themselves. Look, it, it, it was good. There's sort of some of those little issues that sort of made me think too. And mm. uh, look, I, I, as I said... I introduced you as a brave humorist. <laughs> um, I uh, families come in all shapes and sizes, yeah. as does humour. And you've given us gays, headless bodies, and a feisty eleven-year-old in the Nancys. Well done. Thank you very Rob much. Cold. And just one thing: mm. debut novel. Yes. And you're very forthright in thanking the writing group from the Faber Academy. Yes, yeah. So I did the. I actually started writing the novel in 2016 through Faber Academy, which is um, hosted in Allen and Unwin. Uh, Paddy O'Reilly and Tony Jordan. I was incredibly lucky to have them as my teachers and mentors. And my writing group has been there since since right at the very beginning. So they've been incredible. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Now, if you're interested and you thought you might like a good laugh out of this book, do ring 94198377 and say, I'd like a book called The Nancys on it right now and pick it up from 3CR. Donate, of course, to our Radiothon. Okay, thanks very much. Now, I've got Ewan Mitchell talking about a book with an illustrator, I think. My guest today is best known as an AFL Premiership player, five-time All-Australian footballer and the linchpin of Richmond Football Club's defence. However, Alex Rance is also a children's author. His first picture book for children, titled Tiger's Roar, was published in 2018 by Alan and Unwin. And this year, Alex has again worked with illustrator Shane McGee to create their second picture book, titled Rabbit's Hop. Welcome to Published or Not, Alex Rance. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. I'd like to start by asking you the background of Rabbit's Hop. I believe it is based on one of your teammates. Which one and why? So there's a few characters which came out of, of Tiger's Roar, which are all my teammates. And so Jack Rabbit is the, one of the main characters in the story that helped the tiger get back to the top of the tree. And so that's Obviously, Jack Rewalt, because he's, he's quite a, a bouncy, effervescent character who um, does things physically on field, which resemble a, a pretty bouncy rabbit, and also off-field, uh, his characteristics do the same. Fair enough. And how did Jack feel about being represented in a children's picture book? Well, initially, I was, I was pretty nervous to um, ask him if it was okay if I wrote a story about him, and he was actually pretty pumped and said that it was one of the, the nicest things that anyone had ever, ever done for him. So... That was that was really nice. Um, obviously, I didn't paint him out to be a villain because he's he's one of my good mates. So, a lot of the the characteristics that I see in him, the the fantastic characteristics that he has of of working hard, being kind, and having fun, uh, are some of the main themes that are, are sewn through the book. So, yeah, that that was I guess the genesis of of how it was was written. You've immortalised him in the nicest possible way, and I believe also that Roo, the purple kangaroo who lives on Big Island, that's also another character in real life. Is that right? Yeah, so um, the, the letter that gets written to, to Jack Rabbit to give him inspiration to, to come over to the Big Island and help the tiger get to the top of the tree was by his, 
his cousin Roo, who is purple. So obviously Jack's uh, famous cousin Nick is nicknamed Roo. And uh, the reason why I chose to make him purple is obviously because of um, his his uh, Nick Rewalt's sister, um, Maddie. So Maddie Rewalt's vision is uh, the purple logo for them. So I thought I'd, I'd weave that in. And um, there's other little subtle things throughout the story, which some will, will stay just between Jack and his family and I, and other things like obviously Rabbit Island looks a lot like Tasmania, where Jack's from. And yeah, just a, a few little interesting bits where people might pick up if they know Jack. So there's a whole level of symbolism there that perhaps the adult readers might pick up on a bit more than the kids reading the book. Now, the creation of your book seems to have emerged from your interest in educating the next generation. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, I think my my school that I created it for year 11 and 12 students um, to more align with their passions is is one thing. Um, I think learning in general is something that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. I probably wasn't the best learner until I, I fully understood what my learning style was and so that um, I think is a really important part of the education process which is kind of missed. I think the, the old school philosophy is of throwing a book at a student and saying um, recite me back what you've learnt is, is really um, forming a lot of disengagement in schools. I saw a stat the other day that 40% of students are currently disengaged in their schooling and obviously there's a multitude of things which can contribute to that disengagement factor uh, that a percentage, but one of them, uh, and that that I really want to address is educating towards your passion. Your last two years should be really dedicated towards what you're passionate about, whether that's literature or football or construction or music or whatever that might be. Starting to create a real clear pathway to where you want to be. That is great, and forty percent is such a high level for disengagement. So your school that you've co-founded is called the Academy. It's based in Windy Hill. Now, you mentioned it was for Year 11 and 12 students, but how is it different to most Year 11 and 12 schools? Well, so we've uh, completely redesigned all the curriculum. So we went to industry and said, okay, in the AFL space, whether you want to be a player or a coach or a, um, up in administration or whatever it might be, how, what are some of the, the key factors which are really important in being successful in that space? And a lot of it came down to to personal awareness, so having really good interpersonal skills, um, knowing yourself and how you best learn and communicate. Also having a good professional foundation to make sure that year 11 and 12 um, literacy and numeracy is taken care of, but also um, really important to identify what your passion is and why it's your passion. So that can help you work out what part of that field you want to work in. So they're the three Ps, personal, professional and passion that we educate around. Uh, but doing a lot of work around that um, resilience piece of, uh, in the personality space. That philosophy of, well, to sum it up, it sounds very motivational, getting kids back and engage with education. When you say you redesign the curriculum, you gave, a, gave us a bit of an overview, but could you give us a practical example of a class and how you might run it, say a maths class that is AFL-oriented? Um, so probably the two best examples that we use when talking to families is um, we ask them you know, what book they're currently studying at school and so, or what text, whether it's a movie or video, and most of them will probably say, or 80% say, Shakespeare or Macbeth um, or Othello or I Read the Tempest or Romeo and Juliet or something like that. And I, said, I say to them, do you um, like Shakespeare? And they, most, <laughs> of them say, most of them say no. And so yeah. I said, well, we'll we contextualise your education in that 
instead of studying something like that, we might study the Essendon supplement scandal. So <laughs> what are the moral dilemmas that are associated with that? So first of all, they're hooked in because they love either Essendon or the sport or something that's caught their eye. But if you say, okay, well, what if a doctor gave you a needle and said, don't tell anyone about this, just sign this contract, what does due diligence look like? These are some moral dilemmas that you can bring out from any text. It doesn't necessarily have to be about Romeo and Juliet and what happens if you marry into the wrong family kind of thing. So it's, um, that, that's one example of how our English is contextualised, but also from a um, numeracy perspective, uh, instead of doing algebra and geo, um, uh, trigonometry, we'll study their GPS data. So they'll oh. wear their GPSs in training, uh, take them home and, and wear them in games. And so we'll, we'll crunch their data and say, okay, you covered 10 kilometres um, with 10% walking, X percent jogging, X percent sprinting. What would happen if you had a bit more of a break? That would obviously decrease your time walking, but increase your time running. That's going to increase your overall time and start to get them to use numbers in that way. That They're going to get a benefit from a football perspective, but also going to improve their numeracy as well. That's brilliant. So ways they can apply their learning to real-world situations. Well, yep. That sounds brilliant. Now, quite a few of our listeners on Published or Not are new and emerging writers, some of whom have an interest in creating a children's picture book. What would you say to anyone who thinks it's easy to write a children's book but has never actually made a serious attempt to write the story? Um, I think it's you just got to start. Um, the, the hardest thing is procrastination with a lot of people that oh, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. But if you, if you, if you really want to do it, just, just put it down and, and ask the question. I, I was pretty sheepish when I first write down my first story, Tiger's Raw, and then I sent it to my manager as, as the first um, you know, assistance point, and then he then sent it on to Alan and Unwin, who said, this is actually pretty good. And so there's obviously tweaks that are going to be made. It's never going to be perfect straight off the bat. And also you've got to think about factoring in, if you're not an illustrator, the illustrator will tell part of the story too. So your story will start as exactly your brainchild, but then it will, it will morph slightly, still being a lot of what you want to say, but just told in a, a better way, hopefully, because it's, it's illustrated and, and structured out a bit better. And over what sort of time period were you working with Shane McGee, first to do the initial book, Tiger's Raw, and now your new book, Rabbit's Hop? Did it get easy? Did it take months to do? How did it go? Uh, so it took months uh, of backwards and forwardsing, yeah. So initially for me to write the story was quite easy because it was just an experience that happened to me and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm quite an introspective and um, uh, introspective type person who takes notes down and observant. Um, so that was quite easy and then it was a lot of backwards and forwards um, through Alan and Unwin to get the structure of the story right, to make sure that it made sense from, another, from a, a child's perspective but also um, an adult's perspective. And then, the, so it, pro- it probably took maybe um, three to six months to, to backwards and forwardsing, and that's obviously because we're not on it every day. We've also got other stuff to do, but um, yeah, it could be done in, in three months, I'd say. Because I'd imagine you're going, in the end, you'd be looking at each and every word. Is this suitable for the age group? And the age group is roughly or what age? Well, that's one of the things when I was writing my stories. I didn't want it to necessarily just be about football one, and I didn't want it to be just suitable for one age group. Because really, when you write children's books, you're writing them for the parents too because I've read to my nephew now and there's some books where I'm like, this is an absolute rubbish book, but my nephew loves it because the pictures are 
really beautiful and nice, but the story itself isn't really teaching me anything or it's not like, oh, that's, that's a nice story that I think I want my nephew or son or daughter to hear. So one thing I wanted to keep um, throughout everything is that there's hidden messages that the parents will understand and that over time they can say, remember in that book Rabbit's Hop, it talked about working hard and being kind and enjoying yourself? See, maybe you should try that a little bit more. That's your favourite book. Um, and then it can be a, a, a teaching point as well because they've become familiar with it from the start. So it'll resonate with both the parents and children over time. That's great. Now, which brings me to my final question. I believe, and this is according to the media release we've got for Rabbit's Hop, that you get warmed up before an AFL game with Disney music. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, it just depends on the game. If, uh, <laughs> if I need a lot of warming up or not, but I, I'm a huge Disney fan. I love all things Aladdin and Lion King, and I recently saw the, the most recent Aladdin, which came out, which was, yeah. which was very good. I do, I do like Disney music. Now, I, I, I seem to remember somewhere Dane Swan from Collingwood liked the Lion King as well. Have you chatted with him about that? Yeah, we've done a few appearances together, and he's, uh, he's got a lot more than meets the eye, Dane, because he loves yeah. his theatre too, which I, I like a bit of theatre also, and... Um, I think most people think that he's just a bit of a booze hound, but he uh, he does have a bit more depth to him than what a lot of people give credit. Well, then I've got to ask you, can he bust a few dance moves, as apparently you are able to do? Well, I think he's he's probably a little bit more on the, the stationary side of the dance floor. I'm probably more the active side of the dance floor. Um, but, you know, we, he's got probably better observation skills and doesn't want to make a clown of himself like I do. Well, I think you've done some fantastic observation of the human condition in Rabbit's Hop. I'm talking with Alex Rance. The publisher is Alan and Unwin, and it's in all good bookstores right now. Thank you very much, Alex Rance. No worries. Thanks for that. And thank you, you and Mitchell, for um, stepping in. David um, McLean will be back next week along with me, and I was speaking with R.W.R. MacDonald about his book, The Nancys, published by Alan and Unwin. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.